Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Last week, we dove into the last part of our series on unity through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we talked about the armor of God. And specifically, we talked about the belt of truth and how it held all the other pieces of the armor in place. And this week, we're going to cover a couple of the other different pieces of the armor, I guess, this morning. And last week, I also made mention that most of us here have heard plenty of messages on the armor of God. But within this series on unity, the armor of of God is, is certainly applicable to guarding and defending, even fighting for unity. Fighting for unity. Thinking of the armor of God as protecting, defending, guarding, fighting for unity. And I, I, I maybe made mention of this last week, I think I did, that unity is not necessarily something that's gonna jump up and just grab us. Walking in unity as the body of Christ, walking in unity as a family, as a husband and wife, is not just gonna necessarily all of a sudden happen because you love Jesus. You have to fight for that all the time. Work at it and say, and put your foot down and say, I'm not gonna let anything get in between me and unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ and with my family. It's not gonna let it happen. And I'm not gonna let anything get in between unity between me and Jesus. Because unity is oneness and we're one with God when we're unified with him. We're plugged into the vine of, of, of Jesus Christ. We're the branch, he's the vine. And he becomes our life source that way. It takes a fight. And I think, I've never seen this before. I've never viewed the armor of God as fighting for unity, but I, I, I can't get away from it as we read it. I, I wanna just start off, I read this verse last week, these verses, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. This is what we preached on last week. I, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. There's your unity right there, see it? We're not fighting against one another, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will, be still, you will still be standing firm. And we talked about Ephesians 6, 14a last week. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. And the belt of truth in, in that fight for unity is absolutely imperative. We have to put that thing on, which is about guarding our, the gates of our hearts, walking uh, in the truth of who Jesus is in every area of our life. That's wearing the belt of truth, speaking true things, letting your words line up with who Jesus is and all that his word says, making sure that what we are listening to with our physical ears as well as our, as, as our spiritual ears is based on the truth that Jesus embodies, guarding our eyes and all that we see, always being intentional about watching uh, that which is good and noble and not seeing those things that pull us away from Christ. I hope you've been working on that this week. Making sure that our paths are straight and that we don't go places that create natural temptations. Staying clear of those places of sin instead of seeing how close we can get to them without actually sinning. The people of God who wanna be unified, who wanna guard their heart, they run from sin. They don't just try to bump up against it and not sin. Ephesians 6, 14b, it's the second part of that verse, and that's where we're gonna get into this morning. It says, first part, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So the next piece of armor 
is the breastplate of righteousness or the body armor of righteousness. I mean, whenever you can play Back to the Future in church, it's a good day, right? <laughs> the breastplate of righteousness. A wound to the chest is pretty much fatal most of the time. And that's why Roman soldiers wore a breastplate covering their heart and lungs. The actual breastplate piece to the Roman soldier's armor was made up of small metal plates which were all tied together. And the armor was then placed over the shoulders to protect both the front and the back of the soldier. The bottom of the armor was tied to the belt. As we've said before, all the pieces were connected to the belt of truth, or the belt, what we call the belt of truth in the spiritual armor. This is what the breastplate of righteousness does for us. It guards our spiritual heart and lungs, protecting them from the wickedness that's in the world and all around us, really. The Greek word that is used to sometimes describe this piece of equipment literally translates heart protector. And that was the main purpose of the breastplate, to give protection to the heart and the other vital organs. But the fact that Paul uses uh, the word righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, to describe our spiritual armor is very important. The original Greek word that's translated to our English word righteousness, 
is the word, the chaosune. Everybody say that. Some of you don't like it when I do Greek words because you're like, what's the point? I don't understand it. I'll never remember it. But I want you to understand that the Bible was written in Greek originally. And sometimes through translation, there's words that lose a little bit of meaning. Or you can look uh, at the original word and gain more uh, meaning and get more of, of a fullness of the meaning of the word. That's why we do it. I want you to understand the full part of it. So the chaos sune, it, it, it means literally the condition of being acceptable to God. So righteousness means, in reference to this scripture, the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness means to be in a condition that's acceptable to God. Just think about that. To be acceptable unto God. Righteousness is that state that's acceptable to God. And the problem with that is in order to be in a state that is acceptable to God, we'd have to be perfect. Look around the room. Everybody look. If you see somebody who's perfect, point them out, have them stand up. Don't pick your wife just to get brownie points. You know that ain't true. Nobody's perfect. Our problem is that we're human. We are born into sin with a sinful nature, and that keeps us from being able to be perfect. I don't know about you, but I'm a long ways from perfect. I fall short all the, all the time. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard, or fall short of the glory of God. So we make the mistake of trying to be good enough in our own efforts. And this is where the works-based religions come from. And guess what? Works-based religions never work. It will never get you to that righteous position that is required for you to be accepted by God. If you're not righteous, you cannot be accepted by God because he's perfect, he's holy, he's pure. He embodies all of that. And if you have even the little bit, uh, the littlest bit of imperfection, you're not accepted because of that. And I'm not done yet, so don't get, don't get worried. Romans 3, 10 through 18 says, as the scriptures say, no one is good, not even one. No one has real understanding. No one is seeking God. All have turned away from God. All have gone wrong, at least at one time or another. No one does good, not even one. Their talk is foul, the stench, um, like stench from an open grave. Has anybody ever had words come out of your mouth that were like, it's like a stench from an open grave? That's pretty vivid imagery he's saying here. Their, their, their speech is filled with lies. The poison of a deadly snake drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They are quick to commit murder. Wherever they go, destruction and misery follows. Wow, what an encouraging scripture. They do not know what true peace is. They have no fear of God to restrain them. So what are we to do? If righteousness is unattainable through our own efforts, then how in the world are we able to put on the breastplate of righteousness so that we're in right standing, so that we're in a condition where God can accept, can accept us? And I'm so glad you asked that question. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's a hallelujah shout moment, church. It's a righteousness from Christ. He never sinned. That's why he was worthy to be the sacrifice for all sin for all time. 
Romans 3, 21 through 24 says this, but now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, to be acceptable in his sight, not by obeying the law or trying to be perfect in our own efforts, but by the way promised in scriptures long ago, we are made right. Everybody say made right. And I'm not talking about the sandwich. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins and we all can be saved in the same way. No matter who we are or what we've done, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. We just read that. Then verse 24, yet now God in his glorious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. Knowing that you're righteous, that your righteousness is from him, and not from anything you could ever live out on your own. Knowing that your righteousness doesn't come from what you do in the natural, but it's what he's done in the spiritual. Understanding that the righteousness of Jesus himself is now your righteousness. His righteousness has become your righteousness. That's the very essence of putting on the breastplate of righteousness, church. And I don't know who this is for this morning, but somebody needs to get this. I could not just stop thinking about how awesome of a promise this is, about how wonderful Christ's gift to us really is. And I've been a Christian for a long time, but I can never ever fully get my head wrapped around this. I can't be good enough in my own. I know that. And then I end up trying, trying, trying. And you know what the Lord says? You know, instead of trying, just accept the fact that Jesus is in you and his righteousness is now yours. I can walk guilt-free you can walk guilt-free. We all have the opportunity to walk guilt-free because his righteousness is now ours. I mean, that is good stuff. I think Pastor Calloway used to say this long ago. He said, God takes his glasses. I didn't think God wore glasses, but that's what Pastor Calloway said. And he dips them in the blood of Jesus, and then he puts them on, and he sees you through rose-colored lenses. He sees you as righteous. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're righteous. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're a righteous dude, or do that. <laughs> Might as well cover all the 80s movies, right? God sees and knows everything you have ever said everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, he knows all of it, even the stuff that we've hidden deep within our hearts, those evil things that we don't want anyone to find out about. And yet through the shed blood of Christ, we are declared righteous and free of guilt. And in those times when you feel insecure about who you are in Jesus, and you, you, you just have to rise up and say, no, nope, nada, not gonna happen, Done, devil. I'm not listening to that because I'm righteous in God's sight. Amen. And in those times of heavy temptation to sin, when the, the temptation is so heavy that you're, you're, it's like you're sweating bullets to try to not sin. I've been there, church. I remember how it was when I stopped drinking and, and, and I drank for I, I, not a long, long time, but I remember holding on to, to the sides of my bed in college because I wanted to go party so bad. 
I wanted to go drink so bad. I remember hanging on and my knuckles were white just hanging onto the bed after I got right with God. And when that temptation comes in and it's so heavy upon you and it's just trying to pull you into sin, that's when you say, no, because I'm righteous. I'm righteous. God sees me as righteous. And when the accuser of the brethren speaks those lies of condemnation and judgment to you and how you are unworthy and unfit to be one of God's children, you say, shut your pie hole, devil. And I don't even think the devil eats pie, but whatever. Shut your mouth, devil. I've been declared not guilty because I've been washed in the blood of the lamb. Church, we got to get a hold of this. You know, people always try to be righteous on their own first. That's our go-to, right? Okay, I'm going to be a Jesus person. I'm going to be a church person now. So now I have to start being good. Good luck with that. How many have ever tried to be good and failed? How many were good for a little while and then failed? How many were good for a millisecond and you failed? I don't know why we always try to be righteous on our own first, but you realize at some point that it's pointless to try because we sin. Let's be a people that puts on the righteousness of Christ first and just watch how that plays out in your day-to-day living. Because when you understand that you're righteous because of Jesus, when you walk in his righteousness, you won't struggle with the same old, same old sins. It's not that you be instantly free of all temptation or anything like that. It's just that you'll find yourself so in love with Jesus and all that he's done for you and declaring you righteous that the hold of sin in your life becomes weakened. And the more you understand how righteous you are, I mean, the righteousness of Jesus. Let me me just point something else out because churches, they they start losing truths because they forget about uh, uh, solid doctrine. There's a doctrine here that Jesus never sinned. He lived a sinless life. If Jesus didn't live a sinless life, if he actually did sin in his lifetime, then what I'm telling you today would not be true. It wouldn't work. He is sinless. He was sinless. He lived this life free of sin. Not free of temptation, free of sin. And because of that, because he overcame it, then he could truly be the one who died for your sin. He could truly be the one who took his righteousness, which was, I mean, it it is, he embodies the word, right? He is righteousness itself. He takes that righteousness and he says, oh, you accept me? Here you go. You receive me into your life. You've become born again. You've asked me to come be your Lord and Savior. Then my righteousness is now your righteousness. Wow. What if I screw up after that? Confess it. You're still righteous. What if I screw up after that? Confess it, you're still righteous. You just walk in the righteousness and, you know, there's gonna be bumps in the road. There's gonna be times when we miss the mark a little bit, but you confess it, you get it under the blood as quick as possible. You tell Jesus about it and guess what? You're righteous. I just, I hope you're getting this. We don't have to live in bondage anymore because we're righteous. Accept your Christ-given righteousness. Let it cover and protect you. And think about it. When, when, we, when we all together 
as a body or as a family, when we all together walk in his righteousness, unity is protected. There's nothing like a bunch of self-righteous, legalistic believers pointing fingers at one another to destroy, right, or destroy unity in the church. But when everybody understands that your righteousness comes from him and not from you, unity can reign. Because I'm not judging that person or throwing stones at that person or casting mud at that person. I'm just living in the righteousness of Jesus. And when I mess up, I get it under the blood. My brothers and sisters, when they're just, they're just living in the righteousness of Jesus. And when they mess up a little bit, they just need to get it under the blood. And I need to be there to encourage them to get it under the blood, not yell at them and become another voice of condemnation in their life. We're righteous. Not because of what we've done but because of what he's done. Whole denominations exist because of these types of disagreements in the church. Of, well, you did this and you did this and that's not right and you, you know? Your dress didn't come down to your ankles. You know that there's denominations that exist because some believe that the dresses were here, and some believe they needed to be here, and oh man, if you showed a little ankle, you were going to hell. Let's move on. Ephesians 6:15. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. The gospel shoes is the next piece of armor. You know, the terrain that the Roman soldier had to fight on was rocky, and it required sturdy, protective footwear. I mean, can you imagine going to battle and jumping around with your sword and going after people, sometimes uphill on rocky ground, and you're wearing nothing but Jerusalem joggers? I mean, it's not like they had combat boots that were steel-toed. They had to have good shoes, good footwear, sturdy footwear. Their shoes were their foundation, and a good, solid, protective shoe gave them an amazing advantage over armies that didn't have the shoes that they had. A common tactic for ancient armies back then was to scatter barbed spikes or sharp stones on a battlefield or near, near a fort to, to slow down the enemy they opposed. And the part of the spiritual armor that Paul is talking about here is, is the gospel shoes, and he describes those shoes with two characteristics. I, I think it, this is always a, a tough one to nail down. What do you call it? What is it? Is it, you know, the gospel shoe? Let's call it the gospel shoes, right? The gospel shoes. And here's some characteristics that describe it. The shoes of readiness. They're shoes of readiness. 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Always, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. We must ready ourselves or prepare ourselves to carry out the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. We must be ready in season and out of season. We gotta be ready all the time. These gospel shoes, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, those shoes that we wear, they, we, we've gotta be ready. They're shoes of readiness. They're always prepared. And many of us, prepared ourselves to work in the career of our choosing. We went to college, we got training. I know people who ready themselves for fantasy football by going through the rosters of the teams and watching the preseason games to pick their, 
their, their best picks and, and see who they can find who's good this year. Farmers prepare their fields, don't they, for planting? Lawn jockeys, Nathan. Um, did I say that out loud, Nathan? Are you a lawn jockey? You guys might not know Nathan, but he has one of the most beautiful yards in town. He's my neighbor, so I appreciate it. He increases my property value. <laughs> I am trying to get to a point where I increase his, but I'm not there yet. But people who love their lawns, they, they do things to their yard to prepare for healthy growth by fertilizing, aerating, dethatching, and watering at all the right times. And I know grown men who watch YouTube videos of people playing video games. I never thought watching somebody else play a video game would be a thing, but it is. You, you, you watch so that you can, they, they, they watch so they can prepare themselves to play and beat levels that they've never beat before. And my point is this, we prepare for all kinds of things all the time, things that are so pointless in the light of eternity, and it's okay to prepare for some of those things. I'm not saying it's not, that it isn't. What, what I am saying is, is why not prepare for those things that are eternal? Why not become prepared for things that will make a difference in someone's eternity alongside the other things that we prepare for? We prepare for things all the time. Why not make ourselves ready in, to share in an instant? Now, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that for people, people are like, well, no one's ever, nobody's ever uh, uh, asked me about my faith. Is that because you're not ready to share it? So God doesn't give you a divine appointment for that? That's what I love about Joel Simpson and John Tonzi's Connect podcast. Those that are being interviewed, they'll walk out of that interview process more ready to verbalize their own story than they did before. Great to listen to and get to know people. I know that's the purpose and that's the point. But the underlining thing is when you're interviewed for what? 30, 40 minutes to an hour, and you share your story, guess what, you verbalize your story, you're better off, you're, you're better able to share it again sometime. The more you do it, the more prepared you are. And do you realize how many Christians never write down their story? They never learn how to verbalize their story, how Jesus saved them and set them free? When you write it down, when you verbalize it in, in a podcast situation like we do, you, you, you will be armed and dangerous. And you'll have opportunity. And why not memorize a few scriptures as framework for your story, right? Don't pray for divine appointments without some preparation. I know God can use donkeys. And King James says a different word for donkeys. But he uses people a whole lot more in the word of God. So we prepare, we ready ourselves these gospel shoes, they're shoes of readiness. They're also shoes of peace. That's what, that's what Paul says. He says they're, they're the gospel shoes of peace. Be ready with the gospel shoes. Ready with the gospel shoes of peace. Do you want some real revelation knowledge this morning? This is gonna be good. Get your pens out, write this down. If the gospel you preach is a gospel of peace, if it is not a gospel of peace, if it's not a gospel of love, if it's not a gospel of reconciliation, a gospel of forgiveness, or a gospel of redemption, then you're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I know the whole world has gone a little berserk, but to, to become militant in our message is not the answer. We must stand up for truth. I want you to hear me this morning. We gotta stand up for truth, but if we can't do that and be loving and do it in peace at the same time, we're gonna end up doing more harm to the kingdom of God than, than good. I think it's so interesting that Paul was led by the Holy Spirit as he wrote down the scripture here to use the, the, the descriptive word, the gospel of peace. He could have called it the gospel of salvation or the gospel of forgiveness. He could have called it a lot of things, but he called it the gospel of peace to describe these gospel shoes. That's what he, peace. Politically, guys, there is so much division in our own country. And church leaders sometimes forget that in our fight to hold on to our values and promote moral, biblical agendas, that we must first and foremost think of others on the opposing sides as those who need the gospel, those who have souls that need saving, those who haven't yet, have yet to receive Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Fighting with them by exchanging verbal insults is an exercise in futility. You can't argue your point unto belief by winning the argument. Are you hearing me? Some people don't like this, I, I, and I know. You, you can't argue your point unto belief by belittling others. You can't do it by physically forcing them. The Crusades tried to do that. Our fight is against principalities and rulers of darkness. It's not against flesh. So when we get in that mode where we're fighting and we're debating and we're gonna be right and we're gonna lay down our answer, the gospel answer, with that kind of attitude, it's not gonna, it's not gonna do any good. We gotta come to people in love. Come to people with the readiness of the gospel shoes of peace. So we pray and give ourselves, and sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you know, we, we choose our battles for, uh, very carefully and we approach those in opposition with a peaceful gospel of love and we share truth dripping with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not dripping with our own pride as you outwit them in the argument, and, and, and you'll see results. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fighter. We got any fighters in here? You like a good fight? I love a good debate. I got to debate kind of just by accident lots of people in college of all different backgrounds. And I think about debating some of the Muslims I debated they were always really, really uh, opposed to the gospel, and they could, they could they'd get heated. And I would debate back and get heated. Not one of them, not one of them, when I debated them and even thought that I won, ever came to Christ because of the debate. You know how 80% of Muslims come to Christ? They have a dream or a vision of Jesus. So why not pray that that person has a vision or dream of Jesus rather than winning the debate and patting yourself on the back for being such a good witness? Am I, am I making any sense to you this morning? We can debate and we can yell and we can scream and we can be right. It doesn't mean anybody's gonna get saved. Some of those people I debated in college Maybe didn't get saved. I wonder this sometimes because I was 
preaching a gospel that lacked love and peace at its core. And that Jesus' gospel, the, the, the shoes of the gospel, the ready shoes of the gospel of peace, at the core of his gospel is love and peace, reconciliation. I was talking to individuals who would reject anything I said because the soil of their hearts hadn't been softened yet. And that happens through relationships and that takes work. You know, I, I've told the story before and I, I hesitate to tell it again because a lot of you have heard it, but I, I can't think of a better example in my own life, at least, of um, when we were uh, in South Dakota, one of the things that happened that just, it, it, it slayed me. I was doing youth ministry. We had some success with youth ministry. There was some, there was kids getting saved. We had a large youth group. Kids were getting called in the ministry. It was wonderful. We loved it. And then a kid four doors down from the church committed suicide. And it, it just throttled me like, because I thought, yeah, we're doing pretty good, but were we? There's a kid four doors down. And I know there's always going to be a kid four doors down. There's always going to be somebody around us that needs Jesus, right? But it did something to me. It messed with me. And I felt bad about it. And I tried to reach out to that group a little bit more. I tried to put more effort into winning that, that, that little mini culture within our culture, city culture of, of, of Brookings. I tried to reach that culture a little bit. And one of the things we did is we, we found out that the, a lot of them were skateboarders back then. This is, gosh, this is 22 or three, 22, three years ago. So we, 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 we started building skate ramps. Like, we built a skate park. I noticed that a lot of these kids were ridiculed and they were told that they, they, uh, they couldn't skate anywhere in public property because it would, everybody was afraid of lawsuits and all this. And they'd get kicked out of everywhere. There was articles in the paper saying, don't, don't, don't let, you know, we want these kids to stop. Police got to do something about it, you know, blah, 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 blah. So we decided, let's get the insurance, let's set up a little mini park, and let's give them an opportunity to skate. And so we did that, and we did that with some outreach events but I want to tell you, the first time I presented that to the church, they got all excited because, man, we were going to win these kids to Jesus. And that was my goal, too. We built this skate park. We set it all up. And we're, we're praying. We, we put prayer into this. We're gonna, we had like 400 people show up to the first event. And we were going to like give the kids little skate times like the X Games, you know. And that was, I didn't know if the X Games were a really big thing back then. They kind of were, but not in our town. And, and so kids got a little one-minute ride time and we would judge them and see how good it was and give out trophies because no, nobody was ever acknowledging that these kids were talented athletically. I mean, they really were. Thought that would be a real end. And right before we did our event, we were doing our event, it was all good. And right before, right before I was supposed to go out and, and the, the goal was I was going to stand up on this ramp and I was going to preach the gospel and, and we were going to give them Jesus, you know, the first event like this we did. And, um, Right before I went out, I was just praying to, 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 you know, get anointed to go out and preach. The Holy Spirit spoke to me so loud and clear, and he said, don't preach. I thought, I have to. I've told the church I'm going to. I'm not wimpy. And I thought, that can't be God. God would always want me to preach. He said, don't preach. And he said these words. I mean, I've, I've shared this many times before, but he said, evangelism is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's not a one-time blurt out your opinion to somebody, put a notch in your belt that you did your witnessing for the day and walk. It's a lifestyle we live. You can't reach people who are hard-hearted with a message just because your message is right. 
and it's truth. You've got to love them first. Hear me today. I got ridiculed big time for that from church people. Like I was a wimp. I wasn't, I wasn't a good, you know, you don't have the, the courage to preach to the lost. That is so untrue. I'll preach to a telephone pole if it stands there long enough. I'll preach to anybody. I don't care. I, I really don't have that problem. But they thought I did. And so there was, that's not why I left Brookings, by the way. We got through that. But it went on for a year where I started setting up these, these ramps, and we did it month after month after month after month. And you know what? The crowds dwindled down to about 50. The parents stopped coming. The grandparents stopped coming. And the kids were all there. And one day I woke up, Alyssa can remember this very well, I woke up and I was just like shot out of my bed. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back in any way, but setting up those ramps was a lot of work. It destroyed your body. I mean, it was, I, I needed some bigger arms than what I have and what was available to me at that place. Some of you probably would have been really good help back then. Um, but uh, I didn't have that kind of help. Uh, so we just did it. But I got up that one Saturday morning, and I remember God just spoke to me, you're going to preach today. And I told Alyssa, I said, I'm preaching today, I'm going to tell him. And, and she goes, oh, okay, cool. So I went there, set up the ramps, about 50 kids came, and every single one of those kids accepted Jesus that day. Every single one. Yeah, give God glory. But it was because, it was because they were loved for a year. We loved on them for a year. Let me give you an example here, church. If we're going to be ready with the gospel shoes of peace, we love people and we love them and we love them and we continue to love them until it hurts. So we do an outreach in the fall. We've done it for 21 years, ever since I've been here. We, we've done a harvest party where we set up, I mean, we did this when we had no money to do it. Set up a party, everybody gave candy, we, we, uh, we give, do it for the community and the community comes in. You know, we play games, sometimes we've done... I mean, we've done pie eating contests. I think there was a kid who ate seven corn dogs one night. Um, that was years ago. I, I, you know, we've done all sorts of things. We set up tires in a track one year out here in the parking lot during the fall. And this is all for beggars night, right? And they did a trike racing. I think Pastor Calloway raced the mayor on like giant trikes one year. We did that. I mean, we've done so many different things during that time because people in the community are out and about, right? They're out and about and we want to offer them something. And, and no one in this church has ever come to me and said, well, why didn't you preach the gospel to those people? Because that event is an outreach. It's to reach out to people in our community and say, we love you. We're providing this for you. And, I, and, and here's, here's, here's my, my uh, I don't want to say chastisement because that's not it. Um, here's my challenge to you. If you don't come to that event and walk around and love on people, you're missing the opportunity. You're missing the whole point of the event. You just, you just have that mindset, I'm going to come, I'm going to walk around, I'm going to love on people, it's on beggar's night, and I don't even know necessarily what we're totally going to do yet, we don't have it nailed down this year yet, but it's been wonderful, we've seen up to a thousand people come through this place on a Wednesday night, and community people that we can just love on. Outreach, just reaching out to people and loving them, prepares their heart so that when it's time and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you're ready, because the shoes are ready too, you can preach the gospel and they'll receive it. When we put on the gospel shoes that are ready and peaceful, we will be preaching the same message, all of us. Gospel of love, a gospel of peace, 
And that's unity, church. When the church can all preach the same message of love and acceptance and unity and reconciliation and forgiveness and peace, it's unity. On the other side, when the church preaches gospels of condemnation and gospels of get clean before you even think of approaching God in relationship, then the world just is left a little confused. I mean, I hear God's love, and then I hear this, and then I hear this, and I feel shamed, and then I feel this. And Jesus loves us all, and he offers us all internal peace. Amen? Amen. And yes, I know when we choose Christ, it can result in the opposite of peace within our earthly relationships. I get that. But the message we preach, those ready shoes of the gospel of peace, should always revolve around John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If it's not John 3.16, God so loved the world, if it doesn't start there, if, it's, if, if that's not the gospel message, at the core of the gospel message, you better check your gospel just a little bit. Don't try to clean the fish before you catch them. Love them and show them love until they're caught. Then watch Jesus clean them up. That's how it works. And aren't these pieces of armor just so unified in the pictures they paint for us? When the breastplate of righteousness of, of Christ is put on, then it's not difficult for the gospel shoes to, of peace to be worn. I mean, if righteousness is attained through the blood of Christ, apart from what uh, you or I can do, then why would we preach any gospel other than peace? And why wouldn't we always be prepared to preach it? It's, just, it's, just, it's such good news. When we understand righteousness, we're like, man, I want to tell everybody about this. You don't have to be good enough. You never can be good enough. But he is good enough for you. I'm going to share that message with you in a peaceful, loving way. They just all fit so perfectly together and they create this thing called unity that we've been talking about between one another, between God and our families, all of it. And I hope that you've been putting on the belt of truth this week because so many of you stood and committed to do so last week. But I want to add on to that this morning. Will you commit to giving over all of your self-efforts in being good enough? I'm not saying, don't, you should strive for holiness, but that, that striving flows out of a love that you have for Jesus because of what he's done. You have to understand you can never earn your salvation. You can't be good enough. And that's okay. He can make you good enough for you. He is good enough for you. He's so good, he's got good enough, goodness to spare. So he lets his righteousness be your righteousness. We commit to giving over those efforts, those self-efforts and being good enough because that's a, that's a crazy circular game to play that'll never get you closer to God. And will you commit to receiving his righteousness as your own righteousness? And then will you take that good news, that peaceful gospel of reconciliation and wear it on, on, or, or, uh, wear it on your spiritual feet, that gospel readiness, that ready gospel of peace? Those shoes, being ready at all times to share it whenever your feet, wherever your feet take you to. And that's a lot of commitment, church. I, I get that. Wearing the belt of truth, 
putting on the breastplate of righteousness, knowing what that is, and then readying ourselves with the gospel uh, shoes of peace. It's a lot to commit to. But as I said in the very beginning of this message, unity is worth fighting for. Having one message is worth fighting for. Being one so that we can see things happen for the kingdom is worth fighting for. I want to be that church that's so ready, that so understands the righteousness that comes from Christ, that so wears that belt of truth around us, that we're unstoppable in this community. And it's not going to be through services like this where people just come in to hear Pastor Barry and the worship team or Pastor Jared or Pastor Don. It's not going to be like that. It's gonna be you all going out as missionaries and winning people, and they may come to church and they may not. It really doesn't matter. We just wanna win them to the kingdom. It's not about building this church and this kingdom if it's a kingdom. It's not about that. It's about building his kingdom. And however that looks. Church, this is all part of what we need to do. Commit to that. I know it's a lot to ask. But like last week, would you stand to your feet this morning and say, I commit to that. I, I'm going to commit to that. Yeah, you don't have to stand if you don't want to. No shame in not standing. I get it. You're not a place you don't want to commit to that. But I feel like messages need to have responses, right? Otherwise, they're just messages. You're standing as your response to this. Lord, close your eyes and put your hands up in the air, would you? Church, all of you, all across the sanctuary. Lord God, you see us. You know our hearts. You know where we failed, where, we, where we've missed the mark, but God, we know that your righteousness is our righteousness, and we stand before you this morning righteous, as pure and holy as Jesus himself, because it's his righteousness that we're wearing. Lord, we also know that our flesh gets in the way sometimes, and we we, we, we don't present you. We don't present the gospel, the good news of all that you are. We don't present it always in the right way or with the right heart or with the right motive. God, we commit to you today to begin being missionaries wherever we go, whether it's the workplace, the schoolhouse, even in the church sometimes we have to be missionaries. God, we commit ourselves to you and we ask you, just change us, Lord. We give you permission to do surgery on our hearts this morning. I hope you're letting him speak to you this morning. Last week we said uh, that you needed to tell someone as you left that they look pretty good wearing that belt of truth. And this week, I want you to walk around and say, those are some nice kicks you got going on there. Those readiness gospel shoes of peace. Man, that's a nice body armor plate that you're wearing to protect your spiritual heart. What in the world can God do with an army like this, who's committed to that. I mean, look out Warren County, or wherever you live, wherever you're at and online. We were an hour and a half last Monday, we were an hour and a half away, the staff was, for a, for a get-together, and someone walked up to me that I did not know, and they said, 
I like that belt you're wearing. It's a really nice belt of, of the belt of truth. Don't take it off. And I was like, what? I, but they were watching online. We don't know where all this, these messages go, right? But we were an hour and a half away. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Better remember what I preached myself, right? <laughs> but what can we accomplish as a church? If we start putting on the armor like this, for the sake of unity, for the sake of, of being together as a body and doing God's business and building this kingdom. I, I, I'm, you know, we sang that song this morning. We've seen cancer disappear. We've seen, you know, God, God starts doing miracles in his house. If this is a house of miracles, if, if he's too good to not believe, I think that was the name of the song. We've seen miracles, we've seen things take place like that, but what if miracles became the norm? I think God pours that kind of power out. He pours that kind of thing out when his people uh, begin to unify. And I, I think this church is unified. I pray in your marriage is unified. If it's not, you got, you got some work to do. You gotta get unified. House divided against itself will not stand. Church is powerless, powerless if it's not unified. That's why Psalms 133 is so important. A good and pleasant end was when we all dwell together in unity. It brings the anointing, it brings the fruit. It's a place of God's commanded blessing. Let's be that church. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.